This podcast is paid for by Kindrel. Whether it's to receive a parcel from overseas, take public transport, or use an FPOS machine, Kindrel helps businesses imagine things differently. Kindrel designs, builds, manages, and modernizes mission-critical technology systems that the world depends on every day. With an ecosystem of partners and intelligent technology practices, Kindrel unlocks new possibilities to drive your business forward. Discover more at kindrel.com. I'm Seamus Byrne coming to you from Gundungra land and this is the Tech Pulse podcast presented by Guardian Labs and paid for by Kindrel. The Tech Pulse podcast is produced on Gadigal land. Transformation can no longer be discussed in the absence of climate action. If you want to reshape your business for the future, you need to prepare for a business landscape that will be aggressively dealing with climate change and its impacts. From customer preferences to supply chains, brand equity to operational readiness, will any aspect of the enterprise be untouched? As new targets are debated in the Australian Parliament and around the world, we're talking to two sustainability leaders to grapple with how business should walk the walk, from first steps to the full embrace of net zero performance. Martina Linenluka is Director of the Centre for Corporate Sustainability and Environmental Finance at Macquarie University, and Faith Taylor is Vice President and Global Sustainability Officer at Kindrel. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Look, Martina, I'll start with you. It's one thing to decide to become carbon neutral. It's another thing to execute. So what's your work revealing about setting targets and then taking action to achieve them? Yes, thank you for that question. So my work within the Centre for Corporate Sustainability and Environmental Finance focuses a lot on working with companies across sectors to see how we can support their ambition to some extent, obviously, to embark on a sustainability mission, but also to look into setting meaningful targets around achieving corporate sustainability and that transition to net zero in the future. So I see targets as very important because they do assist with agenda setting and, you know, they do give really good signposts and guidelines because then everyone knows this is the ambition that we've got. But the big issue that we have is targets alone are certainly not just getting the job done, right? So we can have the best targets, but if those targets are not backed by meaningful investments, by meaningful action, by changes throughout the company, throughout supply chains, then ultimately the targets are empty promises and they're not really helping us to bring about meaningful sustainability action. We have to make sure that targets are not just seen as a proxy for progress. Where we often see a real disconnect as well is that companies are not really linking their ambition to ecological limits around growth, for instance, right? So there's still very much a growth paradigm underpinning everything that it is that we are doing. And then often sustainability and carbon are sort of coming in as secondary, you know, issues or constraints to be considered. So it's certainly not an easy job to do. And we often find, you know, that companies are very overwhelmed when it comes to addressing all these different elements. 
But ultimately, I think that's really part of the journey to work out, you know, where the company can make the biggest impact, but also where the sort of like biggest issues can be avoided at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm sure we're going to dig into this idea a little bit more as we progress. But, you know, what's your top line views on that balance between tech and efficiency and cultural changes to to hit some targets? Look, I think, you know, technological solutions are really important. Um, you know, they underpin basically everything that we are doing. But I think technology, I see that often more as an enabler, right? The best technology is really not helping us to achieve sustainability if it's not being used in a meaningful way. If there's no uptake, if there's no commitment. And, you know, we've got so many people worldwide essentially really needing to shift their consumption patterns. So ultimately, I think it really needs to be a consolidated effort across all levels. And technology comes in at one element. But really cultural change, behavioral change, you know, changes in the way that we think and live. I think that's where we ultimately see the biggest and most impactful changes. Absolutely. So faith Kindrel, obviously a fast-moving startup that was spun out of a global corporation. You know, what's been easier or harder, do you think, for Kindrel to, to get on its own path to net zero emissions? Well, it's really exciting in terms of establishing what I call our baseline. And every company on this journey has to do an inventory of where you stand. We spun off from IBM, right? 19 billion in sales, 90,000 people. But yet we have to reestablish our baseline. That is really important for a company to understand is what are your boundaries and scope, what locations, what part of your businesses should be part of scope one, direct emissions, scope two, indirect emissions, and scope three, which is the hardest, which has 15 categories around indirect emissions, supply chain, employee travel, business travel, um, your JV, your uh, capital purchases, waste. And most people don't realize that all of that has a carbon emission associated with it. So getting that inventory can be a major challenge, right? You want to have data. And when you develop that, you want to build with the end in mind. In terms of the data, there's questions about integrity and greenwashing. And what's been critical as we've been building this information, and I've done this for over 15 years, is that you ensure that you are building with the end in mind. We want to make sure that we have third-party validation. We've been working with an accounting firm to actually, as we're getting the data, to make sure that the assumptions we're making, the data that we're getting, has actual integrity. We're a technology company. We're going to leverage technology. There's tremendous amount out there, but it also is being practical. Um, I'm a firm believer in the 80-20 rule. So when we look at our portfolio and we actually say what's important, what's delivering 80% of our carbon emissions? What are the types of tactics that will help us to reduce that carbon emission? And of the 80%, what are some of the things that we can do that will immediately help us get there? And what are some of those longer-term investments that we need to get there? The other misnomer is that investing in this is only costing you money. That is not true. The transformation that's happening in the market, there was a recent McKinsey study that just talked about that there will be $12 trillion invested for the next several years to 2030 in terms of net zero transformation. And that's by vertical. Transportation, energy, buildings, 
agriculture, consumer products. We as a technology company are servicing those industries. That's a huge opportunity for revenue growth. So it's not just about reducing consumption and expenses. It's actually a way that you can actually transform your business to be more profitable by actually providing the solution. So it's really a great opportunity. This podcast is paid for by Kindrel. Whether it's to receive a parcel from overseas, take public transport, or use an FPOS machine, Kindrel helps businesses imagine things differently. Kindrel designs, builds, manages, and modernizes mission-critical technology systems that the world depends on every day. With an ecosystem of partners and intelligent technology practices, Kindrel unlocks new possibilities to drive your business forward. Discover more at kindrel.com. So Martina, I mean, it's quite clear from some of the discussion already that we need to go a long way beyond just buy clean energy. Um, But I'd love for you to explore some of the other decisions that you do think can be made in order to reduce actual emissions and progress that overall carbon reduction strategy. Yes, I think, I mean, in the first place, what's always really important is to look at avoidance, right? So I think this is where really the action needs to happen, you know, because once the carbon emissions have happened, we're sort of looking at follow-on solutions from there, right? That kind of means the emission is already in the atmosphere and contributing to global warming. So ultimately, the big question is really, you know, where are these emissions happening and what can we do at that point to avoid them in the first place? Sometimes it can mean that uh, machinery gets replaced by something that's less polluting, more efficient. Sometimes it also means a complete rethink about how a company is actually producing um, its goods and services. So at this point in time, everything that we do um, transportation, food, right? Anything that uses electricity has still got a carbon footprint. So the next step that we normally then look into is mitigation, right? We are actually using so much energy without really delivering on economic benefits. So, you know, lighting that's being left on for no good reason, machinery that's sitting idle for no good reason. So there's actually a lot we can do. And I think this is really where technology comes in as well, to look into solutions where we ultimately cut that out and only really use electricity when and if it makes sense. Last solution is always offsetting, you know, so if we can't avoid emissions, if we can't mitigate them through some other means, then offsetting might be a potential solution, right? I always see offsetting as a little bit of a sort of like, you know, um, non-ideal solution because emissions have occurred and then you're trying to take corrective action in the next step. But definitely also depends, you know, on the quality of the offset providers. Ultimately, if there's no good emission offsetting initiative that's being undertaken, this is really not uh, contributing to the outcome of, of sustainability. Yeah, so I agree. I think offsets are um, need to be validated. I think that, you know, you can plant trees, you can, but do you have certification or some type of objective validation that you are reducing your greenhouse gas emissions? And I do agree with the first step is avoidance, right? Because at the end of the day, behavioral change actually can be the most impactful. But when I think about with Kindrel and what our opportunity in terms of enabling through technology, you know, what's exciting is that 
one of our groups has, has been developing a smart city technology. And in that smart city technology, the lighting has sensors incorporated into it. And so it can automatically turn off lights throughout a city that are LED, very energy efficient, according to supply and demand. That's huge. It's a very simple solution, but it, when you enable that, you can actually reduce significantly the energy usage in a city, right? And so that's the type of thing where technology can be enabled. I think, though, as we look at technology, I'm a firm believer in keeping it simple because I think the more complex it gets, it doesn't necessarily get used, and at the end of the day, we need solutions that you can actually implement. Um, Martina, one thing that that makes me think of as well is, you know, do you have a thought there on how a company should set a good target? Because as you say, it's one thing to pick a number, but it's another thing to know you're going to do something with it or that it's going to be adopted by people and actually you're going to be able to achieve things with the choices you're making. I think ultimately a really good starting point is a target that is uh, clearly linked to a company strategy in the first place, you know, and I think it really comes down to this internal process, you know, working through, okay, where are we standing now? What is realistic? You know, what is perhaps a little bit ambitious as well? How can that then be used as a starting point to set a target where the company can see, okay, this is meaningful, this can be achieved. And then I think the next step is to look into how can we make this now a little bit more ambitious, right? Um, now, Faith, you know, we've touched on a, a bit of how tech enables some of these opportunities, but uh, what are your thoughts on how modernization and transformation itself for a business actually does align with setting out to remove carbon from business processes? So when we talk about removing carbon from business processes, I think you have to link it to the financial performance of the company. And so when we talk about the financial performance of the company, all companies need to be profitable, but they also need to be resilient. So when you're strategically looking at your company and you're saying we have these growth projections, in sustainability, reducing consumption reduce costs. How do you quantify that? When you look at new market opportunities and revenues that are associated with leveraging your existing business and adding sustainability features and driving new revenues, that is actually a benefit to the company. Another huge component is managing risk. And so when you look at your strategic priorities and you say, how are we going to deliver consistently these revenues or not have a negative impact to our brand reputation, um, recruiting and retention, it's related to how you're also managing your risk. Today, let's just talk about the climate, right? How do you make sure that your business can still generate revenues when it's under climate challenges and risks? What if your technology goes down because the wires have been burnt? This resiliency and managing your business is important. It will help you deliver sustainable revenues and protect your employees. You have to really quantify it for the company in terms of this is the path to profitability. And the core of this is your values. Your values drives your purpose and your purpose, your intent, should align with your strategic uh, direction. 
But in my mind, all companies are going to have to adapt. At the same time as we're setting these targets and goals, we have to manage risk and make sure we're sustainable. And that's what climate change is forcing us to do. Yeah. Um, within the sort of tech industry itself, what role do you feel like tech companies can be playing for others? And then, of course, you know, what are the things that you know, we've touched on a little bit, but the things that tech can't really do? Yeah, well, technology is definitely an enabler, and we should be leveraging it to deliver the bottom line reduction, new revenue opportunities, and we should be partnering, which we're doing a lot of, in terms of global solutions. This has to scale. You can't do this in an isolated manner. We've learned that. All, you know, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's supply chain issues, we are globally connected. So we have to leverage technology to partner, to scale, to get to solutions. It's, it's imperative. It's absolutely necessary. And that type of mentality in terms of partnering and collaborating is different than in the prior, you know, we're competing, we're competing. We need to compete to solve for the solution. We can all win. There's enough in the pie <laughs> to get there. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree with um, the points that uh, Faith raised. We are definitely in a situation at the moment where in isolated thinking, you know, just every company by itself, for itself, you know, this is ultimately not delivering the large scale solutions that we really need. You know, you've both touched on resilience a little bit, but I'm sort of curious about questions of uh, asset impairment and stranded assets. I've seen that uh, your centre has been sort of doing some research in this sort of space. You know, how do you map for that strategically? Are enough people really thinking about those questions when it comes to preparedness and, and I guess, you know, changing and mitigating? Yes, I think that, you know, especially going forward, looking into these types of issues around what assets are adding value, this is going to be a really, really big question in the future. Given that these huge transformations are happening in multiple sectors, right, the infrastructure that we do have in place is perhaps not delivering the right type of solutions. I think the energy sector is a great example for that, right? You know, the question that we are looking at is how fast is this transition happening? And at the same time, how much value do we have invested in these types of assets, right? And these kind of two factors are sort of coming together and are potentially leading to the situation where we might have what we call stranded assets. You know, they are no longer of value or perhaps they are of limited value. I think as we see more and more climate change happening, there will also be a much larger societal push for a much faster transition, right? But also that means, you know, rapid write down of assets in fossil fuel intensive sectors. So, you know, anyone um, with investments uh, in those areas, I think really needs to uh, keep an eye on those risk developments. And, you know, we see that the end is inside. The question is just how fast it's going to happen. And my hope is, you know, that yes, we will see it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, now, Martina, 
again, we've touched on these supply chain issue related questions. Um, and I sort of wonder about that aspect of, we know all the companies are ultimately, you know, networks of companies, everybody is relying on each other. Um, how quickly do you see the start of that demand on suppliers, all the different kind of contracts and relationships, how quickly that will start to become something where perhaps a company doesn't think, oh, well, we don't have to worry too much yet. But then suddenly they'll be told you have to prove in order to keep maintaining these relationships with other businesses. Yeah, I think managing supply chains, right, that's, I think, one of the, the big issues. Uh, the larger the company, the more complex the supply chain, right? And that's where it becomes really challenging just to manage all these complexities. And, you know, it's one thing to know who your direct suppliers are, but then you often have second tier, third tier and ultimately, it becomes less and less and less visible who is really at the end of that supply chain. Um, when it comes to carbon, I think, again, you know, when we look into supply chains, there are so many complexities involved into this. You know, it, it starts with transportation. The larger the supply network, the more complex the transportation arrangements usually get and the more carbon intensive the supply chain becomes as well especially due to COVID, we've seen a lot of considerations regarding whether or not supply chains should essentially be shortened and perhaps, you know, being brought back into uh, the country where a company is operating. But of course, that's not always where the best cost solution is. It's certainly not always where the best supplier or the best raw material is located, right? But I think the added challenge is absolutely for companies now to get a better grip on what's happening in the supply chain and also to see, okay, who are actually our suppliers? You know, what are they doing in terms of sustainability? This is definitely an issue I think where more needs to happen, especially to introduce, you know, more transparency into this and to better understand the range of issues currently uh, involved in this. Yeah, supply chain is one of the toughest areas. And it's across industry, you know, whether it's hospitality, transportation, packaged goods, technology. And I do agree with transparency, like really understanding what's involved. But this is where there is a lot of work being done. Um, you know, blockchain is, this is where it can really be a solution because it can get down to that where the product is actually made and then you can, you know, roll up to who in the supply chain is using that product. Because the big concern here is double counting. So many, many companies are using the same supplier. So who's counting the footprint here? You know, how do you clearly, transparently understand where all the emissions are associated with that? So we need some systematic way to define and evaluate supply chain so that it is clear which companies are accountable. This is where I think working with academia, working with technology, working with companies to really come up with a solution here, because it needs a lot of work. So look, let's start leaving listeners with some <laughs> clear advice for things they can actually do, because it is a big problem. But Faith, I'd love your thoughts on any easy wins you can see out there for good first action for people who are starting out on their, their journey. Well, I mean, first, just develop your baseline, do an inventory, and understand what your scope and boundaries are, right? What you should include and what you should not. Um, and, and use guidance from, like, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, the Global Reporting Initiative, and benchmark. Benchmark to other companies similar to yourself. 
um, to see what they've done. But the first step is just to get an inventory and understand what that is and using guiding principles. And then from there, really understanding how this is linked to your business, your business strategy and financially. Absolutely, this has to tie into how you are delivering the benefits to the company. Once you do that, then understand after doing that homework, what the targets and goals should be for you. And really, when you set those targets and goals, you should also look at the partnerships that can help you get there. This is a space where we talk about leveraging technology or working with academia or working with a nonprofit group that can help you as you develop those solutions for reducing and how you can get there. And that's a critical component, I really believe, in this day and age. Even if you're a small company that's starting out, there are resources that you can find or partners that can help you get there. That's going to be critical. And then most importantly, in my mind, it's your vision and intent. Where do you want to be? What's the end game here? Is it to reduce your footprint and really, you know, make an impact, which will keep you motivated as you go down this path, because this is a lot of work. It is not easy. And there will be, in my mind, ongoing challenges. There are going to be resource constraints. There's going to be ongoing climate change adaptation issues. And the industry is changing fast because of technology. So how are you going to manage all that as you're going forward? So you do have to have what I call that vision, that North Star of this is where we're going. It's not going to be easy, but we're on that path and we're going to stick with it. I think that's absolutely critical, that leadership, that vision, as you develop these kind of steps in the foundation and getting there. That to me is like why I'm at Kendall, I'll be honest with you. Um, because I see that vision, I see that leadership, and I see the commitment. It's important. Fantastic. Um, Martina, are there some important questions you feel like should be asking internally to build a really great climate action plan that is going to give them the right momentum and cultural fit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really agree with what Faye said around, you know, it, it does need that leadership, certainly from the top of the company. It can't just be driven by individual employees. I mean, while that's certainly important, ultimately, if that top commitment is not there, it just makes it so much harder, right? So um, I think one of the big questions that companies should look at is any sort of ambition in terms of sustainability actually resourced appropriately. It really needs to be incorporated into the entire uh, structure of the company and ultimately be recognized at all levels. You know, I also always think there's power in action. So it's always really good for companies to start somewhere. You know, even if you're not 100% sure where exactly you want to start with all that complexity, right? But I think it's really good to, to just look into what's out there, you know, and embark on that sense-making exercise. And I think that paired with good level of commitment, top-down commitment, but also bottom-up commitment can really be a meaningful driver for change within companies and beyond. Look, Faith Taylor, Martina, Lynn and Luca, thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts on such a crucial discussion here on the show. Thank you. Thank you. 
For more conversations like this, search for Kindrel Tech Pulse Podcast on Guardian Australia or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tech Pulse Podcast is produced by Guardian Labs Australia. It's hosted by Seamus Byrne. The Guardian Labs producers are Alison Tanner-Disastro and Jody Weatherup. The executive producer and Guardian Labs head of content is Justine O'Donnell. Our sound recordist is Dan McHugh. Our sound editor is Mel Chun. And the Tech Pulse podcast is paid for by Kindrel. Kindrel.